Greetings to every single one of you. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. Those tunes you just heard, as always, is courtesy of the lovely Bobby Mackey, and I'm, of course, your host, Tessa Morrow. Today we find ourselves in Arizona, in two special locations, less than two miles away from one another. Slaughterhouse Canyon, to investigate during the day, and head on over to the haunted hotel that is Hotel Brunswick and stay the night with some friendly spirits. In Kingman, Arizona, there is a location called Luana's Canyon, but most refer to this as Slaughterhouse Canyon, not to be confused with Slaughterhouse Canyon Trail in Nevada. Of course, a location that has a name like that must come with a legend, right? Yes! Legend dates back to the 1800s. The man, he looks at his family, his children, they're malnourished and weak. His wife cries because she can't bear seeing her babies like this. She herself is very hungry. It's been days since their food ran out. The husband takes a deep breath. He knows he has to go and search for food. He begins to leave. His children, they cry for him to stay. They don't understand that this is a matter of life and death, certain death if he stays with them. Their sole chance for survival is for dad to leave. And it breaks his heart to do such a thing, but he knows it's for the best. He kisses his wife goodbye, bends down, and hugs his children. He wipes away their tears and kisses each on the forehead. He then walks out the door. This family lived at the bottom of Slaughterhouse Canyon. Times they were hard. Scratch that. Times they were excruciating. There was no work, and the man found himself in every husband and father's biggest nightmare unable to provide for his family. He knew it was out of his control. It wasn't his fault, but he couldn't help but feel guilty. When food ran out, he would often leave for weeks at a time. Along with other miners and prospectors, they would travel to an area that was like around northwestern mountains in search of gold. It would take him a while, but he would always come back with food for his family. Well, One day, he leaves on his burrow, and he is never seen again. His fate? Well, that remains unknown. Many things could have happened. Many. He could have starved to death and died during his travels. Perhaps he was robbed and murdered. Maybe he got sick and expired. Or another scenario. He's resting for a short while and is attacked by wild animals. All we know is that his family... They never saw him again. 
His wife, well, she's heartbroken. His children, they're devastated, not knowing his fate, along with the fact that they're starving. Not a good combination. The children are way too young to comprehend what's happening. They constantly scream and cry for their father and for food. Just a tiny morsel, Mama, please. The mother, named Luana, in which the canyon is named after, is left with thoughts in her head, such as, Where's my husband? What happened to him? What will happen to us? How long till my sweet baby's weak bodies give out? When will the crying stop? How will we get food? Will help come? No, help never comes. With each passing day, Mama Bear sees her cubs grow weaker and weaker, starving to death, a slow, painful, and agonizing death. She can't take any more. Their cries are tattooed onto her soul. Some say she goes insane. Some believe that she wanted to just take them out of their misery, take the pain away. You won't be hungry anymore. She does the unthinkable, every child's worst nightmare. The person that they trust most in this world, the person who literally gave them life, now is their executioner. She snuffs the life out of the wee ones. The legend has different endings. One is that she takes them to a nearby creek and drowns them, then dumps the remains in the water. She then kills herself. And another side is is that instead of taking her own life, she lays at the creek bed where she just took the lives of her children. And she lies there in utter shock of what she had just done. She just killed her babies. She's screaming. She's crying. She's distraught and heartbroken. She just basically cries herself to death. Even though they are gone, she can still hear their cries. First for food and daddy. And then for their lives. She herself then dies of a broken heart, and probably starvation as well. Rumor is that you can hear her screams echoing throughout Slaughterhouse Canyon. Apparently, she wore her wedding dress when killing her children, and it is said that by the time she was done with the deadly deed, her white dress was stained with her children's blood, innocent blood. Their wooden shack was splattered with it. People referred to this shack as the slaughterhouse. Well, online I found some experiences people had shared. One local shares that she could never actually recall anything like this ever happening and that the canyon was called Slaughterhouse Canyon due to the slaughtering of cattle that happens there. That a family lived here and actually owned a slaughterhouse. She does mention something quite interesting, though, that the Wallapai Indians once lived on this land and performed special ceremonial burials here. So this is the site of sacred burial grounds. Another local who's been here their whole life says they grew up being told about a legend here, and it has nothing to do with Luana or her starving children. It's about a soldier who raped a Indian woman and then murdered her and her children. And supposedly at night, you can hear this woman crying in search for her children. This person who shared this account also gave good advice if one plans on going to Slaughterhouse Canyon. And I want to share that because I know if I'm going somewhere, it's like, okay, that was good to know. So you can only now get there 
off of the Wallapai Mountain Road, which is located behind the Quick Stop, or follow the wash behind 6th Street downtown and follow the railroad tracks at the 7th Street crossing on Topeka. One person shares that for a while they actually lived in Slaughterhouse Canyon, and one day they were just kind of hanging out and decided to take a series of selfies. The first one turned out okay, just regular. The second, they share, had some sort of red mist. And the third and fourth had what looked to be that of a bearded man standing behind this person. And the fifth had the red mist and the last was normal. So you gotta love that photographic evidence. It's like, wow, that certainly was not there. You know, I've had that happen several times throughout the years of my investigating the paranormal. And like the EVPs, it's always a treat. It's like, oh my God, thank you. That's awesome. The final story I saw regarding Slaughterhouse Canyon comes from a person who had lived in the Kingman area for well over 40 years and had spent large amounts of time here in Slaughterhouse Canyon, hanging out, exploring, partying, what have you. Well, this person describes an odd experience that happened back in 1990. This person was hanging out with their friend in the car, and they had been there for several hours, just kind of hanging out and chatting the night away. Like, literally, as now, it was 3 a.m. Things are fine when suddenly the car starts to move all on its own. Moving forward, as unseen forces are guiding it, quote, The windows were covered with dew so we couldn't see out, unquote. Confuse the friends, they get out of the car and they search the whole area. There's nobody in sight, no human or animal. They could not explain this eerie incident, and this made them a bit more than uncomfortable and unnerved by the mysterious event. So they decide to finish off their visit at a much safer location, a nearby Catholic church. Less than two miles away from Slaughterhouse Canyon is Hotel Brunswick. Construction starts back in 1907 using tufa stone that was quarried from town and completed and opened to the public in 1909. Its founders were two gentlemen named John Mulligan and John Watt Thompson. If you were someone or anyone, you came and you stayed at this hotel. The rich and the famous like Clark Gable hard-working folk like the miners and so many others came through these doors. It was a high-end place to lay one's head, well known for things that may not have been super common back then, like air ventilation, gas lights, hot water, a phone in every single room, heaters, plumbing, brass beds, and Waterford crystal. For the most part, these are things we take advantage of, you know? We're just like, okay, who cares? There's a phone in the room. That's the norm. Back then, not so much. Back then, it was known as the Thompson and Mulligan Building, and it was the first ever three-story building to be built here in Kingman, Arizona. So, very interesting stuff. For a few years, everything was fine and dandy. Business, it's good. But then a lady enters their lives, Miss Sarah Lynch 
both men, they are very drawn to her and yearn to be with this woman, extremely attracted to her. I believe both men actually did court her at one point or another, and she eventually marries John Mulligan, who was a first-generation Irish-American who arrived at Kingman, Arizona back in 1876. Sometime after the marriage, the friendship between Mulligan and Thompson, well, that dissolves. It's not like you can avoid each other in town and write the other one off forever or block them on Facebook. <laughs> like there was Facebook back in those days. Remember, they own this hotel together. So what do they do with this estranged partnership? Do they sell? Maybe one buys the other out? Good riddance, sucker? No. Neither wants to sell their part. So they turn Hotel Brunswick into two hotels, my friends. Literally, they put up a wall dividing the hotel. Split right down the middle, each man has 25 rooms. John Mulligan, well, he has the lobby and the bar, while John Thompson has the Chinese restaurant. Once the hotel was turned into two, the two men, the former friends and business partners, they never speak to each other again. John Mulligan, well, he dies in 1935. Wanting to keep it in the family, his daughter-in-law, Hazel, takes over his half of the hotel. The Thompson side is eventually sold to a gentleman named Joe Otera sometime in the 1950s. Well, in 1966, Otera is actually able to buy Mulligan's half. The wall that divided the two for so long is brought down, and the hotel, well, that's one again. No needing to get a drink in one section and leave and go to the other section for Chinese food. Well, he calls it quits in 1980, and the hotel is eventually abandoned. New owners, they take over in 1994 with dreams of restoring this building and turning it into a bed and breakfast. Restoration is finally complete in 1997, and I don't know if they just didn't have good luck with getting you know, business to come in their way, or something else may have happened, but they unfortunately only stayed in business for 13 short months. They spent longer time renovating and restoring this location than they did actually, you know, letting the people in to enjoy it. So that was kind of a bummer. It does not stay abandoned for too long, like last time, as in 1999, a couple, they buy the location, but they shut down in 2006 after deciding, hey, they don't want to do this anymore, they have bigger and better dreams, and they move on their own way. Hey, to each their own, I completely understand that, been there, done that. They unfortunately sell it to four people who didn't have the best intentions, I believe it was two married couples. These four people had ill intentions and ended up stripping the location of all of its valuables and antiques and just basically history. I believe in 2012 it came into new ownership once again, and I think it's been under that ownership since. There's a handful of spirits that call this hotel home. In room 212, an elderly gentleman is often seen. And it may be the spirit of W.D. McCright, an elderly wealthy man who lived here for some time and died in his room. Yep, you guessed it, 212, on March 13th, 1915. And nope, folks, not Friday the 13th. We were close, though. It's Saturday the 13th. 
W.D. McCrite, he was born in Pennsylvania in 1841. He moves to Arizona in 1874. He is wealthy due to selling his interest in the McCracken mines. He moves into Hotel Brunswick in 1913, and he called this location home until his death a short while later in 1915. The King of Men Daily Miner reports on his death. W.D. McCrite was found dead in his room at the Hotel Brunswick last Sunday morning, death coming without warning. He had evidently arisen at the usual hour and was making his morning absolutions when the grim terror called. Not making his appearance at the usual hour, Mr. Miller went to his room and found him lying on the floor, dead, with a towel in his hands. It was such an active room that the owners at the time closed it off and made sure no guests stayed in there. It was almost like a rule as do not discuss this room, 212, uh, it does not exist basically. Times have changed. Some people live to stay in rooms like 212, including myself, and it is open to the public once again. Many people who stayed in this particular room have reported to staff to experience things uh, around 2 a.m., but nothing too crazy as the owners say they've never had no one grab their stuff and run out in the middle of the night, checking out extremely early. Meanwhile, in room 202, not too far down, there's a spirit that loves to move things around. One time someone came into the room to see the bed in a completely different area than its regular spot. And last, but certainly not least, it's believed that the spirit of a little girl lives here. She doesn't pay attention to a particular room like the other spirits mentioned, but spends time on floors two and three. And you know, I know I just mentioned earlier in the episode that we were going to do two locations, but I thought that I might add just one more as it's not too far away. That's about a half hour away. It's the Oatman Hotel in Oatman, Arizona, which has a history attached to it and quite the bloody one at that that involves a massacre. Now, unlike Hotel Brunswick, the Oatman Hotel is no longer a functioning hotel, or so I saw online. It is, I believe, a gift shop and a museum. So, something to still check out for sure. Oatman, it started off as a tent city and made it huge after a huge gigantor of a gold discovery, which was found back in 1915. Like, $10 million huge. Today, that's over $276 million. Like, <laughs> this hotel was built in 1902 before it became a successful mining town. Like many towns back then, fires, three in fact, came through and destroyed much of this town. In 1920, Oatman Hotel, it was restored, just like Hotel Brunswick. This was the place to be. Word is that Clark Gable and his wife, Carol Lombard, spent time here. Who knows if that's true or not? Some people say that there's no proof this never happened. But some say that they even spent their honeymoon here. So, mm, I don't know. I do know they got married in Kingman, though. So maybe they were in Hotel Brunswick. Today, around 100 or so people, give or take a few, call Oatman their full-time home. 100. I, I love towns like this. Small towns. They're nice. They're cozy. 
There's, there's not much there. It's not like there's like 30 malls and all this, what have you. And I just love the, the atmosphere of these places. You know, it's like you almost know everybody there. I thought that was kind of a neat little thing, like 100 people. It's more like a village. So people, they would travel all over to stay here. And some residents, well, yeah, they refused to leave. Yes, we see many spirits who reside here. Many believe that Carol and Clark remain here forever on their honeymoon. People who've stayed here have experienced hearing disembodied voices, unexplainable laughter, coming from areas that no one else is around. People have seen apparitions, and some have even caught them on camera. On the second floor, the staff often find imprints of bodies on the unused beds. Remember, this is a museum, so they, you know, they know nobody's been in those beds, and they often have to flatten out the imprints, and then, oh, all of a sudden there's somebody there again. And furthermore, people have seen the apparition of a woman believed to be a chambermaid when the hotel was a booming business. Some have claimed to hear the sounds of a bagpipe being played. Many believe this to be an old Irish miner, referred to as O.T., he was staying here at the hotel, waiting for his family to travel from Ireland to be here with him in the United States. Well, something goes horrifically wrong during their travels. Don't know what happened, but his whole family perished. Odie was beyond devastated as any person would be, utterly alone and completely down in the dumps and in a foreign country. You know, he, he his home is in Ireland. He's not from here. So he basically turns to the bottle and drinks himself to death. He was found dead outside behind the hotel and his spirit is said to have been here ever since. The hotel's saloon sees some paranormal activity as well. Glasses and other objects will often levitate from the bar. The lights they'll turn off and on by themselves when no one else is around and so much more. Now the name behind the town of Oatman it's it's kind of a sad one. So Roy's Oatman and his family, they had been traveling through the area. They stop along their travels. The children, they're exhausted. Husband and wife, they're deadbeat tired. They stop in order to just kind of take a break from their travels, give their oxen some much needed food and rest, and get some food in their bellies as well. So Roy's Oatman and his wife, Marianne, who is excruciatingly pregnant. She's eight and a half months pregnant, mind you. She had just finished making the family a soup with some bread. And they start to, you know, eat their food. They still have a 120-mile trip. And they plan to, you know, just kind of travel throughout the night to beat, as we all know, that Arizona heat. It could be brutal. So they're kind of going and they're eating and relaxing when suddenly the oldest child, Lorenzo, he's by the wagon, the family wagon, when he sees, in his words, several Indians slowly and leisurely approaching us in the road. The Indians, they approach and they talk to Roy's and... It's in a different language. The Indians are basically asking for tobacco and for food as they are incredibly hungry. Well, this family of 
you know, mom and dad and several children and one on the way, they're hungry too. And food is very scarce. It's not like, okay, let me just go to Walmart or King Supers or Albertsons. You know, it's like, no, there's, there's no Kroger's down the road from here. So the family, they're kind of hesitant, but the Indians aren't backing down. So they give some food to the Indians which they ravenously eat the food, but they want more. They're not happy with what they had gotten. They want meat. They want more. Roy's, he says, we don't have any more. What the hell do you want from us? You know, we don't have any more. We gave you what we were going to eat. Thanks, dude. We're starving now, too. Maybe not in those words, but, you know, he's, he's throwing the vibe out there like, we don't have any more. And the Indians, they don't believe one word they jump in the back of the wagon and start actually making themselves at home throwing things out and searching for things and start pocketing some of the things of their, their valuables it's like what the hell is going on you know they went from traveling to all of a sudden this like raid this ambush and it's it's quite terrifying they don't only have themselves to think of, but their children's lives, too, are at stake. So they can't, like, you know, just, like, do what somebody else might do. Well, suddenly, there's a blood-curdling yell. And this must have been a signal, because all of a sudden, every single family member is being attacked by an Indian. Roy's, his wife, who's pregnant, mind you, so his wife and unborn child, his daughters, Lucy and Charity, and his sons, Roy's Jr. and Roland, they are murdered and they fall to the ground. And I, I just have to say that Charity, Anne, she was three years old. Roy's Jr., he was five. And Roland, he was two. These people didn't care, obviously, even though these children were not a threat. They were completely defenseless. They were brutally murdered. Lorenzo, he's also attacked and he kind of runs and he falls off the cliff. There were two people who were spared that day, Marianne and Olive. They watched their family be brutally murdered. And I mean, I couldn't even imagine. Their whole lives were just absolutely turned upside down. The Indians take the oxen and the girls. They actually make the girls take off their shoes and make them walk barefoot back to their camp, which is about 90 miles away. Olive, she talks about this incident. After we had descended the hill and crossed the river and traveled about one half of a mile by a dim trail leading through a dark, rough, and narrow defile, in the hills we came to any open place where there had been an indian camp before and halted the indians took off their packs struck a fire and began in their own way to make preparations for a meal they boiled some of the beans just from our wagon mixed some flour with water and baked it in the ashes they offered us some food but in the most insulting and taunting manner continually making merry over every indication of grief in us, and with which our hearts were ready to break, we could not eat. After the meal and about an hour's rest, they began to repack and make preparations to proceed. So this was basically her nightmare, her and her sister. For five long, excruciating years, 
these two sisters were stuck with their captors, with these kidnappers, five years. And so the town is named after Olive Oatman, or what I would like to consider the whole Oatman family, as most of them were brutally murdered in this horrific massacre. So just a lot of history. Like I said, every single location has just so much history, some of it excruciatingly dark and heartbreaking. So next time you're in Arizona, go to Kingman where you can check out Slaughterhouse Canyon and Hotel Brunswick, or take the 30-minute drive over to Oatman where you can see the Oatman Hotel and so much more. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others, my friends. They are equally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry. You can binge listen right now by heading over to any of those podcast platforms such as Spotify, Podcast Republic, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Deezer. Basically, wherever you may roam to listen to your other phenomenal podcasts, You'll probably find Paranormal Prowess podcasts lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to Decatur, Georgia, Crowley, England, Catskill, New York, Manassas, Virginia, and Harriman, Utah. You guys, as always, it is so greatly appreciated. Please feel free to drop me a note at paraprowl at gmail.com. Be sure to check out next Monday as episodes are released every single Monday. Thanks, everybody, and we will see you next week.